You can be seated. I'm going to talk this morning on the subject of let it go. Now, <laughs> when I told the staff about this, this week, one of them wanted to know if I was going to break out in song from Frozen, and, uh, and no, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm just going to say, let it go. Um, so you got your Bibles, turn with John 3, 16 and 17 and 18. We're going to look at there, Romans 8, you follow along in the YouVersion app. Uh, you can see all of the notes that I'll be teaching from today. Very familiar, here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Romans 8 verse 1, therefore now, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to be talking to you today about letting go of condemnation. Uh, this was birthed in my spirit a few weeks back. I was just praying. I've been reading, uh, reading a book, and, and, and as I read through uh, the book, they were talking about people that live in condemnation. It just kind of resonated with me because I see a lot of people, talk to a lot of folks, and there are many people in this church and around the world that live their lives under the weight of condemnation uh, based on many different things. But I want to show you this morning quickly the difference between conviction and condemnation, because they're not the same thing. They're not even remotely the same thing. Um, conviction is this. It's a strong persuasion or belief. It is the state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. Uh, John 16, 8 says this in the New Living. It says, and we, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin. He will convict the world of its sin. Conviction. Condemnation is the expression of very strong disapproval. It's censure. It's blame. It's the action of condemning someone to a punishment. It's sentencing. Uh, conviction has to center around what's going on in the moment, though. And conviction is one of those things that the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to deal with us about the sin in our life. It's that little thing inside you that when you, when you have an opportunity or a thought that comes through your mind or you're about to do something, it says, hang on a minute, that may not be the right thing to do. As you grow in faith, as you read the Bible and you pray and you study God's word, then you develop convictions about certain things. Now, here's the thing. We all would like to see everybody with the same convictions, right? Conviction doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in Christianity. It's not supposed to work that way in Christianity. There are, there are some rules or some, some regulations or some laws, if you will, uh, that God put in his word that all of us adhere to. But then there's a ton of areas that we would consider gray that it doesn't specifically say thou shalt not do this or thou shalt do this that you've got to figure out on your own. And so as a result of that, we develop convictions, personal convictions. The Bible says that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So we take the time to read the word. We develop convictions. Something that may be wrong for me may not be wrong for you. You know, and now I'm not talking about the Big Ten, okay? That, that's kind of generic. We all deal with those. None of us should steal. We shouldn't go out and have sex with anybody we want to all the time. We shouldn't have sex with somebody that's not our spouse. You know, we can't take the Lord's name in vain, which means a lot of different things. Uh, and all of that. We shouldn't lie. All of those are generic. We don't have to go, should I pray about telling this person a lie? No, you don't. You just don't lie. Okay, should I have an affair? No. Uh, the Bible says don't, and so it's pretty clear. But then there are a ton of other things in there that we have to determine by prayer and fasting, by reading God's word and studying God's word and talking to the Lord. Is this an action? Is this a habit? Is this something that I should do? And can I do it? For example, uh, I don't drink. 
Uh, I don't drink at all. I drank a lot when I was younger, when I was in my late teens and, and, and before Kim and I got married, I drank a lot. I am a mean, mean, nasty person when I'm drunk. Uh, I, will, I will fight this podium. <laughs> I mean, I will just fight, I will fight anything. You know, doesn't matter how big, how small, I'm drunk, I'm gonna fight you. I'm a mean drunk, I'm a very mean drunk. So I, I do not at all, I don't drink wine, beer, nothing. Look, and I'm not going to stand up here and go, no one should have a glass of wine. It's really hard to teach total abstinence of that. Now, some of you are going to get real squeamish and squirmy here in a minute. It's real hard to tell you can't have any wine at all when, when Paul said, hey, Timothy, drink a little bit. Um, and people go, no, it's not a, it's a different wine. No. I've actually visited wineries to find out about the winemaking process, and the winemaking process hasn't changed in 3,000 years. Now, here's what I know. We can do way more now, a lot faster than they did back then. But the process is the same. On the other hand, it says we're not to be drunk. You've got to decide for yourself where that line is, that conviction. But you can't impose your convictions on someone else, okay, when it comes to do I have a glass of wine or do I have a beer over dinner or something like that. The line biblically is drunkenness. But the Bible teaches moderation in all things. I chew tobacco. Love chewing tobacco. I know someone's going, yeah, that's nasty. <laughs> I'm talking about it. My mouth's watering up here this morning. I don't chew tobacco not because, not because I believe it's wrong, but because I, don't, I can't put a spittoon on the platform. Okay, it's real not, it's not conducive to the Lord. Yeah, let's read out of John 3, 16, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the fact that it would be a stumbling block to people that come into church. I just don't do that. I'm not telling you should or you shouldn't. Yeah, but smoking's a sin. No, smoking's a habit. Okay? If you're going to get legal, anything that holds you, is an addiction, anything, okay? So if you have to have, say, a Starbucks coffee every morning. I'm not saying it's sin. No, 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 listen to me. Here's what I'm saying. You can't look at someone who has an addiction to nicotine and point a finger at them if you're, if you're addicted to caffeine. Okay, you can't do that. This has nothing to do with my message this morning. I just feel like this. <laughs> Actually, it does. It does. We have to develop convictions. As we grow in God, we, grow, we, have, we, we, develop, we develop convictions. As you grow more in God, some of your convictions earlier in your salvation and your Christian walk will fall away, and you'll, have, you'll develop new ones. You'll develop new ones. But we have to continually grow and develop convictions. That's why the Holy Spirit was sent into this world. Condemnation, on the other hand, is not the same thing. Condemnation is the expression of a very strong disapproval, censure, or blaming someone. It's the, it's the condemnation in a re related to punishment. Conviction is in the present. Condemnation is about the past. Something that you did or something, or something that was done to you. 
Conviction moves you closer to God. Condemnation is designed to push you away from God. By its very design, the very nature of condemnation is to push you away from God. Here's the thing I want us all to understand this morning. Because Jesus was condemned, you and I will never be condemned by God. That's the, that's the beauty of this whole thing that we call Christianity. God does not condemn us. He did not send Jesus into the world to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. He was condemned, so you and I will never have to be condemned and walk under condemnation. But yet we do. Yes, we walk under this day in and day out. So here's the thought process of someone living under condemnation. A believer ought not to sin. And a believer ought not to be forgiven when he does sin. So God ought to just cast him out. You say, I don't believe that. Yes, you do. If you're living under condemnation this morning, that's your thought process. I shouldn't have sinned. I shouldn't have made this mistake. And because I have, God hasn't forgiven me. And since he hasn't forgiven me, he's just cut me off. That is the thought process of someone living under condemnation. It's a powerful inner wound. It it involves self-loathing. It involves even self-destructive impulses at times. And all of these things are rooted in condemnation. So here's the cycle. Someone did a filthy thing to me. Therefore, I am a filthy person. Therefore, I do that which is filthy. I am condemned for what I do, which is because of what I am, which is a result of what was done to me. There are people in this room this morning that you were abused as a child or even as a young person, or even as an adult, you've been abused in your past, and you live with the guilt and condemnation of what was done to you, and the enemy has sold you a bill of goods telling you that you are what happened to you. Hear me this morning. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Satan is accusing you this morning. What was done to you doesn't determine who you are. You're living under condemnation. In a few minutes, I believe God's going to set some people free in this house. I'm just going to declare that right up front this morning. So how how is this cycle enforced in our life? Well, it's enforced by the dominion of idolatry. The idolatry piece of condemnation is found in this lie. I cannot be forgiven because my sin is greater than God's grace. Dr. Mark Rutland, I read this in in, in one of his books. He said, to think that my sin, my anything, is greater than the grace of God is to make an idol of my own wounded emotions. So what is the biblical foundation for the healing of condemnation? Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If God is God, and he is, then I must worship him as God. I cannot worship him as God and not trust his word above my guilt. You see, if I doubt his word then I'm not worshiping him as God. You can read the Bible all day long. But if what happened to you is greater than God's grace, you're living in idolatry. You can read it all day long. You can engage in reading the word of God. But until you accept it as absolute truth and apply it to your life, 
you're going to constantly be under the dominion of idolatry and condemnation because you're going to be, believe your situation is greater than God's grace to forgive it. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that's just not true. Satan has sold you a bill of goods. Satan has sold you a lie that you're carrying around, that what happened to you or what you did or what was done to you is greater than God's ability to forgive. But I'm here to tell you this morning that according to the word of God, that I believe is the word of God, that Jesus died on the cross for all of my sin, past, present, and future, all of your sin, all of the sin of all of humanity, past, present, and future. And because he took condemnation on his shoulders, you and I don't have to live under it anymore. We don't have to live under it anymore. But yet we still hold fast to it because we're living in idolatry. I must get to a point where I believe God and not my wounded emotions. I, believe, I must believe that his love for me is greater than my contempt for myself. If not, I'm playing God. I'm playing God and we can't play God. I'm getting a noise up here, guys. Is it this? How about that? My whiskers on the mic. I like that. I like that. If I doubt God, then I'm not worshiping as God. All right, here's another piece. Me must be replaced by him. John the Baptist said this. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. I must get myself out of the way. I must get my wounded emotions out of the way. I must step aside from what was done to me because that's not who I am. Just because a filthy act was ha happened to me doesn't mean I'm a filthy person. It means that someone abused me, which abuse means to be used for a purpose other than which it was attended, intended. That's what abuse is. Someone used you for a purpose other than which God intended for you to be used. God intends for you to be a vessel of honor. He, intend, he intend, intends for you to be a treasure held in earthen vessels. God intends for you to be his child and a child that prospers and has a future and a hope and joy in their life. But yet the enemy comes in and uses another individual that abuses you, uses you for a purpose for which God never intended, and then he comes back and says, this is who you are. And so you're held in condemnation because you're believing the lie and not the word of God. Everybody tracking this morning? All right. Me must be replaced by him. When me is replaced by him, worship begins to happen. When worship begins to happen, then there's very little room left for me. You say, well, we already had worship this morning. I'm not talking about just singing songs on Sunday mornings for 30 minutes. The worship that I'm talking about is every moment of every day, our mind and our heart is fixed on God. That we're living our life in a way that emulates Jesus Christ. We're living our life in a way that shows forth the forgiveness of the one who died for us. The gratitude of the one that set us free from the law of sin and death. The, the, the reality that my sin, all of my sin, not in part, the old song says, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. If you have to tell yourself every morning when you get up, open the, open the morning with, it is well with my soul. 
it is well with my soul. When I believe his word and worship him as God, then condemnation is defeated. We've got to stop trying to overcome it by, my, by our own will and through our own strength. When we do that, then something begins to happen. Now, I want you to, we're going to shift gears here just a little bit. Look with me to, in Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, it says this. When he assured and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord. I'm reading from the King James Version. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Where Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, or before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. Now, if you're reading out of a different translation this morning, it says this, God bless it. I don't know why it says that. There's some of the, some, sometimes translations get a little wonky. But you get some of the older translations, you get some of the earlier manuscripts, it says grace, grace unto it. It's very important that we get that translation right this morning. Because Zerubbabel is not shouting at the mountain, God bless you, God bless you. He's shouting grace at the mountain. The mountain is any obstacle in a person's life. Zerubbabel, or Zerubbabel, depending on how you translate that, down south we probably say Zerubbabel. <laughs> All right? He is a type of Christ in Scripture. He's a type of Christ. In other words, symbolic for Jesus. The phrase not by might is not God's might or God's power, but is the ability or power to affect something. It also refers to wealth at times or an army or a man or woman of might is someone who is competent in his or her respective field. It's very important. Not by power, not speaking of God's power, but talk about the prowess of an individual, whether physical or intellectual or collective potential of a group of individuals. These two words in this passage are not referencing God's power or God's might, but an individual's own power, own competency, own intellectual or physical prowess. They're used together only a few times in Scripture. In 1 Chronicles, Obed-Edom's sons are spoken of as competent individuals. They're competent to guard the temple. Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, the king, he's, he's, he's told to illustrate God's blessings on this powerful army. Now, the danger of this level of competency is this. Just as in Uzziah's case, verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26 reveals that when Uzziah became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And this is where you and I get into trouble. By thinking that we can just push through the condemnation or push through the obstacle in our own life, in our own strength, in our own power. And just as Uzziah, we become proud and arrogant and Satan derails us through our own intellectual prowess. I can handle this. I used to think if I could get my shoulder under it, I could carry it. And I was proud of the fact that I was tough and I was strong and I was emotionally, I could do this thing. But I've learned some things in the last five or six years, and that is I can't do anything apart from God. But when we build ourselves up, we think in our own power and our own might and our own intellect and our own physical prowess and intellectual prowess that we can do this and we don't need God's help. We're lying to ourselves. Just as Uzziah did, and he became arrogant and proud, and he acted corruptly. And Satan will just, just derail us the same way. By my spirit, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The spirit word here is referencing the breath of God, the creation and the sustaining of life. 
God breathed on Adam. He became a living being. He breathed on the dry bones. Kira talked about this last week. That had come together in the valley of dry bones. And they came to life. The same breath, the spirit, in the Greek is pneuma, in the, in the Hebrew is ruach. The, the breath of God, the spirit of God, the, the ruach of God that breathed life into you and me in our sinful state when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were dead in our sin. God breathed life into us by the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. That spirit lives in you and me. It is by that spirit that we overcome. It is by that spirit that we are delivered. It is by that spirit that we are set free by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. He raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells and lives in you and me. It is by that spirit that condemnation can be defeated in our life. Come on, worship team, go ahead and come on back to the platform. We're getting ready to see something happen around here this morning. Not by might, not by power, not in my own strength, not in my own will, not in my own intellect, not in my own prowess, not anything about me except my ability to believe that God is God and his word is true. But by my spirit, says the Lord. The mountain this morning, in this moment, and it can be anything, but this morning we're talking about condemnation. Zerubbabel comes on the scene. He sees the mountain in your life. Jesus sees the mountain in your life. And he doesn't look at it and go, oh, God bless that mountain. God bless that mountain. He doesn't scream, God bless it. But the Bible says that he screams, grace, grace unto it. And that mountain collapses and becomes as flat as a plain. You're carrying a mountain around on your shoulders this morning. You've been harboring this stuff in your heart for years and years and years, some of you. You doubt your salvation. You doubt the love of God. You doubt the love of other individuals because of what was done to you. And in your mind, you've convinced yourself that you deserved what happened to you. Or at least in some way, in some form, you let it happen. But I'm telling you this morning, if you're the, if you're the, the recipient of abuse in your life, that someone used you for a purpose other than which you were intended to be used, listen to me. Every human, every person in the human race was designed in the image and the likeness of God, their creator. That same creator that placed his image in you bent over Adam in the Garden of Eden and he breathed the breath of life into him. While you were being formed, while he was forming you in your mother's womb. Yes, but I was born outside of wedlock. I was conceived out of wedlock and so I was illegitimate. So was Jesus. But listen to me this morning. When God got finished putting you together, he did the same thing to you that he did to Adam. He breathed life into you. You and I were born. We were created. Our purpose for existing is to receive the breath of God, to hold the breath of God, and to distribute the breath of God to other people. 
You've had death words spoken over you. This morning I'm speaking life into you. Some of you have heard the words of death so long. That's all you hear between your ears. But I'm telling you this morning, God has a plan for your life. God wants to set you free in this house this morning. God doesn't want you walking under the weight of condemnation to your past. So when Zerubbabel screamed at the mountain, he doesn't scream, God bless the obstacle. But he screams, grace, grace, because he knew that we would never be delivered from condemnation on our own might and our own power. We are never going to be forgiven, be, be free from condemnation on our own competencies, our own physical, intellectual prowess. God knew that we would have to have our own Zerubbabel, our own king, a man by the name of Jesus Christ, who became the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to shout at your mountain this morning, to shout at my mountain this morning. But he doesn't shout, you're bad, you're filthy, you're no good, you'll never get there or you'll never amount to anything. He shouts grace, grace to the mountain. And that mountain becomes as flat as a plane. You say, Bill, you're a little excited this morning. No, I'm passionate this morning. What I'm talking to you about is a life-changing moment in eternity right now. Right now. I'm rarely this way. I could not wait for these guys to get done this morning. It was great. It was fantastic. But I wanted to get up here so bad I almost started with this. Because I know what God's wanting to do in this house today. Jesus shouts grace at my sin. He shouts grace at my guilt. He shouts grace at the accusations of the enemy. He shouts grace at my condemnation. And in this house this morning, I just want to tell you, somebody needs to get on your feet today and begin to praise God for shouting grace into your life. You're not who you're at, the accent that you were. You're not what was done to you. You're different from that. Get your eyes off your pain. Get your eyes off your wounds. Get your eyes off your offense. Let it go this morning. Let it go this morning. Come on, in this house. Raise a hallelujah in the presence of our enemies. Raise a hallelujah in the presence of my self-loathing. Raise a hallelujah in the presence of my self-destructiveness. Raise a hallelujah in the presence of my condemnation this morning. I have to decrease so that he can increase. My life will not be about what was done to me, but I will worship because of what Jesus did for me. I have been made alive by the breath of God that lives inside of me. I will let it go, and I will worship.